Thursday, September 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Tim Hansen, and from Motley Fool Inside Value and Hidden Gems in Australia, Joe Mager. Mager Week concludes. Has he been yeah. on all week? I haven't been listening. Almost I'll all confess. week. I, okay. I didn't. I didn't want to bring Joe in on Monday because I figured the jet lag would yep. just not be conducive. I was delirious. It's a good podcast. Have we already discussed whether or not Joe's been stung or bitten by anything in the most poisonous country in the world? Have we covered that ground? No, but let's cover that a little later. Okay. We've we, we got a couple of topics to get to. Uh, let me begin once again uh, with a little bit of a mea culpa because, once again, we had some technical difficulties yesterday. Sorry about that. <laughs> the podcast is up. I, although, in this case, I feel a little bit like Han Solo in that one Star Wars movie where the Millennium Falcon is having problems and he's just like, it's not my fault. It's not, it, it, it was not on our end. That's all I'm going to say. But that being said, we're going to talk about J.P. Morgan. We're going to talk video gaming with Grand Theft Auto and the gaudy numbers that that uh, franchise has put up. Uh, but we're going to start with yesterday's action with the tapering. We taped yesterday's podcast. No taper. No taper. I was going to say, Joe, yesterday, was anyone thinking it was going to be anything other than the Fed comes out and says, well, we're going to scale back from $85 billion in bond buying to $75 billion. Everyone was expecting at least a pullback of $10 billion. For crying out loud, you had Lloyd Blankfein from Goldman Sachs giving the green light. That guy's a hack. <laughs> yeah, you- I mean, it was a shock, and markets had already priced it in, and the Fed had been as forthcoming as the Fed will be about telegraphing a change, and then they didn't change it at the last minute. I think, I don't know, what'll be more interesting is how they eventually deal with this later when they do want to back off of it and having credibility around that. And, you know, markets are going to be wondering whether or not it will happen. So it'll be nice and dramatic. Tim, what does it say about the state of our economy that, again, the Fed had the green light to start the taper and they decided not to? Yeah, I mean, the decision isn't, isn't, I think, totally unwarranted. If you look at what they're looking at, right, they've got this mandate for employment and and um, and also to sort of you know manage monetary policy, um, limit inflation, and you know oftentimes those two things are at loggerheads with one another. Um, but to their credit, I mean, right now, even though people are warning about rampant inflation, it really hasn't materialized in any sort of threatening way. But the unemployment picture in the country really hasn't improved either. So, you know, to the extent they want to maintain the current policy, I think there is a justification there, you know, and, and, and the one sector um, which can employ a lot of people, which has started to recover, is home building, you know, new home construction. You know, you look at who's the most unemployed in, in the country, and it's people who have no more than a high school degree. Obviously, those are, you know, tend to be people, generally speaking, blue collar workers, maybe in the construction industry. They're the ones who would benefit the most from a resurgence in housing. And the fact is that when interest rates did start to creep up over the last month or two, you know, the refinancing boom that had been happening has completely fallen off a cliff. You've seen a lot of banks warn about that business. You know, but even the number of new home purchases, even though it's still inching up year over year, the rate of growth has slowed and it does remain pretty dramatically below what I think would, you know, any of us would consider a normal, a normal level. So, you know, when you look at it that way, I can see the rationale for the policy, but at some point they are going to start playing with fire here because inflation will become a concern, moral hazard becomes a concern, and and the fact that they're creating bubbles due to this cheap money in lots of places in the economy, you know, we've seen in the past, that can be very destabilizing. Yeah, at some point you got to come off the morphine. Well, and as I indicated before, 
three months ago, six months ago, we had CEOs on Wall Street saying, look, there's going to be a negative effect if they do this. The green light was there. Even taking into account everything Tim just said, which makes all the sense in the world to me, I still feel like there's no better opportunity in terms of a reception on Wall Street. There's no better opportunity that the Fed is going to get than the one that they had yesterday. Well, that's probably true. But I agree with Tim that recent data, you know, economically has been soft. And I I give my, you know, hat or I'll tip it to them or whatever, that they at least didn't feel like they had to follow through with it just because they said they would. They should make the right call on whether or not they should actually roll ahead with it. They backpedaled. Not the best in terms of signaling and communicating with the market, but maybe what they think is best. J.P. Morgan has agreed to pay $920 million in penalties over its 2012 London whale trade that, uh, well, let's just say it didn't work out very well. Uh, The company also admitted that it violated regulations. That was part of the settlement. That's the new environment that Mary Jo White has over Get tough policy. Yeah. At the SEC. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was watching CNBC this morning. There was a little bit of a back-and-forth discussion about – J.P. Morgan has already said this. They've already said they've made mistakes. They had breakdowns in their systems. I don't know. I look at this and to me, it's not insignificant. To me, there's a difference between Jamie Dimon coming out months ago and saying, hey, mistakes were made and having to say, oh, by the way, we violated. Yeah, that. I mean, that's true. For, for them to have like errors in their Excel spreadsheet, a total lack <laughs> of internal control, you know, people hiding the true value of the position from one another and – them violating the directive to sort of de-risk their asset pool by, by instead of selling risky assets, buying more risky assets, and then sort of doing this alchemy to say they balanced each other out. I mean, obviously they did do something wrong. You know, systemically though, you know, the difference between I neither confirm nor deny versus yeah, yeah, we did something wrong. I don't know that that gets into the, the nobody world admits of, wrongdoing. <laughs> well, that's that's my point. That it, it's one thing to be. Well, we had some internal problems. I think it. I think it is meaningful that they had to come out and say, "Yeah, we violated the law." Well, they've been going for that a little more lately. It was a Phil Falcone that recently yeah. admitted wrongdoing, and I was like, "Who was this guy's lawyer that he actually <laughs> said that that he did?" No, this, this is, is crazy. Well, this is the SEC's new get get tough policy. I guess they got tired of being the butt of all these jokes, where you know they collect some money, but nothing is ever sort of said. Nine hundred twenty million, kind of a drop in the bucket for a company the size of J.P. Morgan. Though. Yeah, I have to say, like in the grand scheme of things, I'm up about fifty percent on my J.P.M. shares since the London Whale fiasco came out. So, yeah, I'll I'll pay that. Is that a little victory lap you just took? Yeah, a little bit. Yep. <laughs> Do you think we're ever going to see the SEC come out and fine someone an amount of money? I mean, I don't want to sneeze at $920 million, but again, it's a drop in the bucket to J.P. Morgan. Are they ever going to come out with a fine that makes everyone go, whoa, what, what do you mean it's a 10, you know, if it was a $10 billion fine? Oh, well, I'm still excited to see how this SAC capital stuff resolves. That could be the, that yeah. could be the big one. Nope. SAC capital. We call it SAC capital because we think it's funnier. Okay. <laughs> and and for, for those unfamiliar with it, g- give me the thumbnail sketch. Oh, this you know this is Stephen Cohen's hedge fund, which uh, by all indications has been engaging in rampant insider trading for a m- many 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 year period on the way to racking up you know huge returns and accolades and and assets. Wrongly, probably, allegedly, maybe and a lot of 
allegations that sound like the allegedly part is very valid yet still allegedly. Allegedly. Um, you know, and, and, and this is one where, I mean, it's almost a no, you know, you know, SMU got the death penalty, right, in college football for doing a lot less than I think SAC has done in the financial industry. So to the extent, you know, what's possible, I think the SAC case is going to show you because to me there's no more sort of rampant wrongdoing plus thumb in the eye plus sleazy sort of thing. Sleagle. Sleagle. <laughs> yeah. That would be nice though. I mean you, you invoke the NCAA. Uh, we see, it seems like we see this a lot more in sports or certainly we maybe pay attention to it more in sports where – a baseball player is popped for doing steroids and they get some sort of penalty. They're suspended for X number of games. College football, uh, sometimes it's a school getting, quote-unquote, the death penalty and they're losing all these scholarships and they have to be off television. Or it's the Johnny Manziel where he is forced to sit out of one half of the first game of the year. Yeah, I think in the real world we tend to err on the side of not punishing people enough for for sort of obvious wrongdoing. And that's because in the NCAA, just like in the – financial industry with their relationship to the government, there's a lot of conflict of interest, right? Who stands to lose a lot of money if Johnny Menzel doesn't play football? Right. The NCAA. (laughs) Right. And really, does the government want to put J.P. Morgan in a precarious position financially? Obviously not. If anything, they're fining them today for J.P.M. putting themselves in that position previously, in addition to all the shenanigans. Uh, as I mentioned yesterday, our Motley Fool One service is reopening, and you can get a behind-the-scenes look at the service by going to mf1.fool.com. That's mfone.fool.com. Uh, just sign up with your email address, and you'll get access to uh, the video vaults. Uh, I mentioned yesterday, Tim, uh, the vault includes Tom Gardner sitting down with the likes of Jim Senegal, John Mackey, Monty Moran from Chipotle. You, you watched that interview. I, I will say not to talk our own book. Because MFAM, we're a different company, so I don't care what you guys do. No. Um, <laughs> but I will say I watched those interviews. There's some great interviews. on. I mean, the Monty Moran interview at Chipotle is outstanding. Um, he did a great interview with Walter Robb, the co-CEO at Whole Foods, which yep. I thought was really, really good. I don't know if that's on there, but it, it is. is. It is, yeah. It's totally worth a watch. I mean, these are, you know, generally speaking, two pretty bright business minds chatting about culture, business strategy. And, and you know, from an investing standpoint, it's been it's pretty awesome. Uh, mf1.fool.com is the URL to get to. Before we wrap up with our final story about the video game industry, let's circle back to the point you made earlier. Australia is the most poisonous country I'm in the world. I'm pretty sure it's the most lethal, lethal country in the world in terms of ways you can die from animals. Yeah, I believe there are 1,200 animals that can kill you in Australia. Have you encountered any of them? Hmm. Because longtime listeners will perhaps recall the story of your honeymoon where you had an encounter with I some, got robbed by the monkey. You, yeah, you got robbed by a monkey. Yeah, yeah. Well, it hasn't come to that in Australia yet. Uh, we made a very strategic choice in our first place to live on the 35th floor. So we're avoiding all the wildlife thus far. Smart. Uh, yeah, but Mike King, who writes for Full AU, recently found a, a snake in his yard that he dug it up. And basically, it's the second most poisonous snake in the world. And there was a, a mama snake and a, and a smaller one. So we're living on the edge of full Australia. Okay, so I think the move there is invite Mike over to your place. But <laughs> when he says, hey, I'm having a barbecue, come on. Yeah, over. I'll just Skype in. You'll just Skype in yep. for that. You've been to Australia. Yeah. And yet you, you, you managed to escape unscathed. Any close encounters? Uh, Sydney isn't really like the outback. I was going to say, so, yeah. <laughs> we went to – we did go to a wonderful wildlife park outside of Brisbane um, where – I guess our closest encounter was with an emu, 
who was standing in front of the path that you walk on around because the, they sort of just have an open field. Those are very large birds. Very large birds, and they like to peck. Oh, and uh, there was this very large field, and there are emus and kangaroos, and you could just sort of walk, you know, freely among the kangaroos, which is which is really cool. But uh, an emu decided to block our way, and that was pretty intimidating because they're tall. Did oh, snake <laughs> jump over it? Uh, no, he didn't. He did not. We we gently tiptoed around it. And, but it definitely followed us for a little piece after that. Um, it was intimidating. That's kind of menacing. I don't really think of emus as being menacing, but after that story, I'm starting to think. Well, we were at the. I, I took my you kids. Were, in the emu's defense, you were on his turf. On his turf. That's true. Um, you know, we were at the national zoo this past weekend with my kids, and, and we went to see the emu. They keep their emu behind a fence. Yeah, but that emu walked right <laughs> up to the fence. Do 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 do. <laughs> my son yeah, had his finger near. It. He was like, "Whoa, wait, back up." That fence is there for a reason, son. Uh, for the first time in, I believe, five years, there is a new Grand Theft Auto on the market, uh, the video game franchise. This is Grand Theft Auto Five, and the sales numbers for the first day are in $800 million in sales. Take that, Harry Potter, or any movie franchise. $800 million in sales. And yet, Tim, you were pointing out this morning, Take-Two Interactive, the parent company, of the Grand Theft Auto franchise not really popping in the way that one would necessarily expect on news like that. Yeah, I mean, it was up sort of last... It was, it's was. it been up over maybe you look at the trailing one-year period, but over the last month or so, even as positive reviews started coming in and... And it's uh, getting glowing reviews. Glowing reviews. People love the game um, and sales projections are otherworldly. I mean, this thing's going to have no problems clearing a billion in sales very quickly, which is obviously material to take two. Um, but the stock's dropping, which is sort of funny. It just it just sort of speaks to that whole, you know, we joke about the buy the rumor, sell the news yeah. investing strategy, but people actually do do use it out there. Yeah. So in Australia, we have <clears throat> this company, Macmillan Shakespeare. They do novated leasing. So basically what they do is if you have a this company- This is going to be a long and boring explanation. I'll keep this, I'll keep this short. I'll keep this short. <laughs> basically, they exploit- Honey, come a, quick. They're talking about novated they, leasing. They exploit a tax loophole, more or less, with company cars- and the existing Australian government said they were going to get rid of the loophole. But they were on the verge of getting crushed in an election. So that seemed like a, a pretty nice outcome for us. The shares dropped 50% on the news of the proposed change that wasn't going to happen. Long story short, too late. Uh, the new government came in. They are not going to change it. And yet, even though the catalyst of the new government coming in happened, the shares still dropped like 15% over five days. Can't win for Buy the rumor, again. sell the news. Buy the rumor, sell the news. That's how you do it. What about GameStop, which is being floated out there uh, over the last couple of days as uh, a secondary beneficiary of the Grand Theft Auto franchise? This is a company that we've talked about in the past, uh, has seemed to fit the category of troubled bricks-and-mortar retailer, and yet the stock is up about 120% over the last 12 months. Does that get you at all interested, or do you still look at GameStop and think, nope, I really don't want any part of this? Yeah, I mean, they're still behind still behind the eight ball. Every trend is going against them. Games are getting cheaper. They're moving online, and GameStop's bread and butter is really selling used games. And that business is slowly moving away from them, and it's just a matter of time. You're not a Grand Theft Auto guy, are you, Tim? Um, I have never played Grand Theft Auto, no. But back in the day? Back in back in the day, I, I think my 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 
Some great, Madden, some Duck Madden, Hunt. Madden football. Yeah, my greatest experience in video gaming probably came during my college years uh, when my roommates, three roommates and I, played Mario Brothers 1, 2, and 3 on the, on the Nintendo, the regular Nintendo, consecutively beating every level using no warps, no cheats. Um, that was probably where we peaked. And uh, it took about, I think if I recall, it took about three days. And, you know, you just got tired, handed it off to somebody else, and they, they took over. And you didn't want to be the guy who, you know, exhausted the last life. That's what I think. That's one of those things. Like you tell your friends at the time, they're like, "Wow, that's you, like, that was a really impressive feat in college." I, that's what I'm saying. Saying it now, yeah, depressing, <laughs> depressing, I, and pathetic. What I was going to say is that's one of those things. You, you <laughs> say it to your parents who are paying for your college education. They just sort of give you that blank stare. Like, I don't think I told. My it's a holistic that. educational experience. It's all about the college experience. Yeah, George, they're Jesuits. Yeah, yeah it's there's the, value in everything. It's not all in the classroom, mom and dad. <laughs> It takes place with our friends, too. All right. Uh, for more, although I don't know how much more illuminating uh, Tim Hansen is going to get uh, <laughs> online, but if you want to read more from him, you can go to foolfunds.com, sign up for uh, Declarations, the, the free monthly newsletter there. Uh, Tim Hansen, Joe Mager, thanks for being here. Cheers. Thank you. Mager Week concludes. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Monday.